Hey friends. So in the midst of these weeks where we are uh, trying to give everybody a chance to, as best we can, relationally connect uh, outside uh, on Sunday mornings, each week we'll uh, be releasing a, a teaching through YouTube uh, to continue us on the journey that we've, we've been journeying on. So you can watch it at whatever time is best suitable for you and, uh, and even discuss it with the people that you're connecting with at some point. That's a, a great way to, to do all of this. So thanks for journeying with us. We're in the middle of a series of conversations that we're calling Inside. Uh, and the idea is to invite Jesus to transform our deepest places. We know that we need a lot of internal work to happen during this season of life because people are overwhelmed in so many different areas. And so, uh, so we've been doing kind of that hard work of discipleship. And so two weeks ago, I spoke on the story of Joseph and, uh, and how Joseph had inherited all sorts of habits and ways of being and ways of doing conflict from his family of origin and how we inhabit uh, or we inherit uh, things from our own families and the culture around us that if we don't learn how to identify, we won't be able to have it transformed by God. And so Joseph, in the midst of his pain and hardship, he was transformed by God so that he could actually break free from the cycles of favoritism and, uh, and conflict and into reconciliation and forgiveness in a new way that his family had not experienced before. And so he set a new legacy and, uh, and that was really beautiful. And then last week, Duane talked about the dark nights of the soul, looked a little bit at the story of Abraham, um, but also the story of, of a number of other areas where, where God works with us and teaches us to trust God actually during the times where we perceive the presence of God the least. So, so how that can actually be a gift to us, these dark nights of the soul, if we continue to walk through them and move through them um, to build trust with, with God as we, as we go faithfully. So today, we're going to reflect a little bit on grief and loss and the role that they play in our transformation in Christ. And this is not happy clappy stuff. Uh, this is this is the real work of discipleship, and this is about uh, being being pretty honest about the ways in which we are changed and how we are changed. It's interesting. I uh, I think that many people look at grief maybe a bit differently after these last seven months, or these last few years even, uh, than before this season, before 2020, before um, all of this this happened. Maybe because we looked at grief primarily as the major crises or losses of of a loved one that brought about grief uh, but but this season is so complicated on so many levels and what we're learning uh, is that losses are happening all around us among all the people around us and in many ways around us um, loss of work loss of meaning in certain areas loss of hope for many as they look at our political climate and how can we ever as a country move forward together uh, loss of relationships that have fallen apart because of any number of divisive elements or just because of the stress of this season. Losses of certain ways of life, losses of optimism, which actually is a significant loss in many people's life um, lives. And, and the fact remains that we just don't know what to do with loss in the West. We have no idea. It's deeply uncomfortable in our culture. Mourning is, is very quiet, is very private. Um, even most of our uh, funeral services are primarily talked about celebration and where there is a place for that uh, There's often no place for honest mourning either um, Many other cultures mourning is loud mourning is very public certain clothes are worn and um, to, to show the world that I'm in pain uh, Wailing 
is a way to express grief. Those sorts of things are not common in our culture and therefore communicate something about mourning and about experiencing loss on any number of levels. Uh, so it, it's not just mourning though in terms of, of death, simply acknowledging our losses is so incredibly necessary for vibrant faith. Uh, and, and honesty, as we're gonna look at in the scripture here, honesty is such a huge part of that. And sometimes in our faith, we look at this world of, um, of what we have in Christ, the beautiful life that we have in Christ, but we use that to gloss over the pain of, of what we really often deal with uh, when, when there are losses in our lives. I remember when I started seminary just a few years ago, this is probably 2015 or so, I flew out to California and I was, uh, we had a banquet with all of our professors uh, in, at my seminary the first night. And it was really funny because uh, when I entered the room, there were only a couple seats left and so I didn't have a choice with where I sat. And I sat beside one of the oldest professors and, uh, and he had real thick glasses, you know what I mean? Like, like really thick. And he was in a tie. A lot of the other professors were much more dressed down and looked a little bit more uh, current, hip, whatever you want to say. And as much as I don't want to say I'm judgmental, I was like, oh man, I got one of the old guys that might be kind of boring and might see the world through a very different lens than I do. And he was a, fi a family and marriage counselor. And I, I am ashamed of my bias, uh, however, uh, as we got talking at dinner, he said something that made me chuckle because I had made assumptions about him. Um, but, but when we were talking about how complicated life is and often marriages fall apart and it's horrible and, and it's difficult to know what to do and, and what our role is as pastors and all sorts of brokenness, he looked at me and said, you know, I think sometimes uh, the most biblically faithful response and the most helpful thing to say in the midst of a moment like that is, this really sucks. And he just left that there. And here's a licensed family and marriage therapist um, telling me that sometimes the most faithful response to pain can simply be acknowledging how much pain there is. Um, grieving our losses allows us to be transformed into something new. The scriptures link this world of dying and living together as, as two inextricably linked um, elements of, of what it looks like to live faithfully and to find life in Christ. Uh, so we must understand that significance. And one of the most significant examples of all of that that we have in the scriptures is when God himself processes grief through the person of Christ um, in the Garden of Gethsemane in Matthew 26. So uh, I want you to, um, to be able to see uh, how Jesus deals with the experience of grief and loss. So I'm going to pop it up here. Uh, and, and so we're reading in Matthew 26, verse 36 uh, on. Then Jesus went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to them, sit here while I go over there and pray. Okay, so Jesus has his disciples together. And then he, he leaves them, at least he leaves a significant portion of them. And he takes Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, James and John, all right? He took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee along with him, and he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Let's just pause there. Um, it's interesting, isn't it? If we take a look at this, and, and sometimes we just don't look at how human of a moment this is. 
But as soon as he breaks from the crowd, and in this case the crowd was even the twelve, but as soon as he gets a little bit alone, gets with his closest disciples, the emotional dam breaks in Jesus when he gets away. He began to be sorrowful and troubled. That word troubled, um, there's three words for depressed in the scriptures, three Greek words. This is the strongest emotional word of all of them. Often deeply troubled or agitated is the word that often is, is translated in this way. And he said to them, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. Now, you probably haven't heard people say, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death before, because that sounds, that kind of language even, uh, it, it's almost inaccessible. But what Jesus is saying here, think of it, if, if you would hear someone say this, literally, I feel like my sorrow is gonna kill me. Guys, I feel like my sorrow is going to kill me. Would you stay here and keep watch? When we think of the sorrow of Jesus in the midst of this passage, what we often end up thinking about is that Jesus is going to die. But there is so much more to the loss that Jesus is experiencing at this point. Can you imagine God entering God's own creation? And this is, this is the embodiment of of the the first chapter of the book of John. Light came into the darkness and the darkness did not understand it, right? Um, so, So literally God comes into the world that God created with the values of God first and foremost and what happens? God is rejected. The kingdom of God is not welcomed even in the religious establishments. Can you imagine the loss that Jesus is feeling? His own disciples have not fully understood what he came to do and the, and the message that he came to proclaim. He's misunderstood. He's called demon-possessed. His closest friends betray him. Think about all of the losses over and over again. He senses that the, the loss of his own life is coming, but it's the loss of, of, of the hope in many ways that Jesus longed for. He was trying to change the world. And of course, we know he did. <laughs> But people still didn't respond in the way that God's heart longed for them to respond. And even if, even if Jesus knew that this was going to happen, the reality of it happening, of being rejected by the creation that he so loved, is such a deeply sorrowful thing. And Jesus does not hide this. Do you notice this? Now, now he doesn't publicly display it in every way, but as soon as he's with his disciples, with some of his closest disciples, the, the, the emotional floodgates go open and he acknowledges that I am, so, I am in so much pain, I feel like this sorrow is gonna kill me. And Jesus is able to be that honest. Jesus doesn't try to overpower that with extra strength. He doesn't also run away from God. and In fact, he's driven to God in the midst of it. And so, so he goes a little farther, okay, and uh, and when he, when he goes further, he fell, falls with his face to the ground and he prays, my father, if it's possible, may this cup be taken from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. I want you to note in that little sentence that Jesus' desire for alignment with God does not mean a denial of his pain and disappointment. Okay? Jesus' desire for alignment with God does not mean denial of his own pain and disappointment. So he goes back and he finds his disciples and he says, can't you keep watch with me for one hour? Again, he is willing to acknowledge his disappointment with his disciples. He asked Peter, 
that question. Then he says, watch and pray so that you won't fall into temptation for the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. And I, I think sometimes, again, we, uh, we tend to think he's only talking about the disciples, but maybe since he's having a battle with his own spirit and flesh about walking the way of life-giving servanthood, maybe he's even talking about just overall, the spirit's willing, but the flesh is weak. That's the battle that I'm into. I am willing to talk about the things that I feel like I've lost, even the depth of connection with the Father sometimes. It's incredible. So anyways, um, in the midst of this story, we see that God himself um, is willing to process grief openly and honestly. And, and, and grief is not something to run from. In fact, grief is something to be willing to lean into and not to avoid. Because when we can do that, something beautiful can be birthed and transformed in the midst of it. Uh, in, in our world today, we have these ways that we avoid grieving our losses. Uh, one, one way is that we try to find the explanation. It's a huge way that we do it. Often we do a theological kind of gymnastics in order to try to figure out all of suffering and why we're in pain. Um, so, so often we, we try to uh, find the explanation by, by looking at theology or we try to find the explanation by blaming somebody. And certainly there's theology that, that speaks to the problem of pain. And certainly sometimes our pain is as a result of, of somebody else's choices. Uh, however, both of those things externalize our, our losses and they don't allow us to, to be honest about our experience to the point that we can actually be transformed. Job is a great example of this. So Job is the oldest book of the scriptures, very ancient kind of view of, of the world and God. And Job suffers and his friends come in. He, Job, Job suffers in every way and his friends come in. And when his friends come in, they keep trying to convince him that he's just done something wrong and he needs to apologize to God for it and then everything will be okay. They try to come up with a theological answer to fix his suffering. And essentially the whole story, Job just mourns openly for like tons and tons of chapters. Um, and and the, the whole story points to the fact that this is a foolish exercise to try to figure out the problem of pain in every way, to try to figure out all the mystery. And finally, the beauty of the story is that God meets Job in the midst of this. And as he meets Job, he speaks to Job about his character. Um, and, and Job hears a response from God in the midst of his pain. He, he does actually meet God. But God's response is about mystery that you can't possibly understand and know the mind of God and about all of the intricacies of how the world works. So essentially, trust me. And Job's response is to continue to be faithful. And Job actually receives everything back in, you know, uh, more than, than everything that he lost. And for us, that's a metaphor of one day God restoring all things as we walk faithfully through these seasons of pain and loss. Um, but, but we often avoid grieving our losses by trying to find an explanation uh, too hard and externalizing everything. Um, the second thing that we do is we ignore our pain or we minimize it. Um, this is the whole I'm fine, right? Remember, Jesus allows for shared pain with others in the garden. He brings James and John um, along with him and Peter. And he brings them along with him and he expresses how much pain he's in. He doesn't deny it. He doesn't say, but don't worry, God is good. Yes, God is good. 
and you can acknowledge all the pain that you're going through and you can acknowledge where you've experienced loss and how it's affecting you personally. Uh, and so, so minimizing or ignoring pain, you know, and, and this leads to kind of the third one, which is claiming victory. Um, when we claim victory without acknowledging pain, we actually miss the beauty of what victory itself even means. In, in Jeremiah, um, I want to show you this passage because it's, it's absolutely fascinating. In Jeremiah 6, chapter 14, Israel, I'm sorry, Jerusalem is being attacked and the people of God are exhausted and they're, they're being beaten down and, and they're, some are, there's been death, there's suffering, there's injustice. And Jeremiah brings a message against the priests and the prophets of the time because they have not been faithful. And he says, they dress the wound of my people as if it were not serious. Peace, peace, they insist when there is no peace. So Jeremiah communicates from God's heart, listen, you're acting like the pain isn't real. You're telling them everything's fine. Everything's fine, but everything is not fine. And you must acknowledge that everything is not fine. You can't give false hope or just hope without acknowledging real pain. That's not who God made us to be. And it's certainly not the witness of how honest and authentic we can be in front of God. Look at the Psalms. Three quarters of the Psalms are crying out in grief. So it's okay to grieve, it's necessary, it's essential. Um, wail if you need to about your losses. Scream if you need to, cry if you need to, but don't deny it and don't project it and use it to blame other people. Instead, be honest about your pain and bring it to God. Place it before God and that kind of honesty, it doesn't embitter us, it changes us, it transforms us. Um, because you learn to embrace humility and you learn to embrace God's trustworthiness. We are allowed to feel empty, otherwise how else can God fill us? We're allowed to cry out, otherwise, how else can our cries be heard, as the psalmist says? We're allowed to voice our hopelessness so that hope can be provided only through Jesus himself. We're allowed to be fully human and fully broken, for God made us in his image, and God is the God of restoration, and we need not be afraid of our brokenness. Uh, so we must allow death to work in us, honestly. That's a hard phrase to say, uh, not running or hiding from our losses. Uh, because we trust that resurrection is indeed a part of our faith. Um, we cannot fully celebrate Easter Sunday if we're not willing to embrace a sleepless Friday night. Um, you can't understand the sweetness of life without some sense of the bitterness of, of death. Um, if our losses aren't allowed to be real, then our resurrection will not be complete. Um, so we have a responsibility to, to do two things. Number one, we have a responsibility to, to not ignore our pain. We've spoken about that a lot. And number two, we have a responsibility to make space for others where grief can surface. By, doing, by, by Jesus being so honest about his own grief with his disciples, he was saying that there is space for you to be honest as well. If I can entrust you with my pain, it means that you can entrust me with yours. Uh, in 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 15, uh, Paul is looking to the day where God will restore all things one day, one day in the future, 
When the perishable has been clothed with the imperishable and the mortal with immortality, then the saying that is written will come true, death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O oh death, is your victory? Where, O oh death, is your sting? But until that point, friends, we still grieve the losses we feel. Because God is a God of truth who allows the truth of our experiences. So today, in our lives, in our past, sometimes we, feel, we still feel the sting of death and defeat. So we're allowed to mourn, and yet we don't mourn as those without hope, as the scriptures say. Because one day God will wipe away every tear from every eye, as the vision of John in the book of Revelations reminds us. That is such good news. Uh, Jesus did not simply come to make bad people good. Jesus came to make dead things alive. We trust that the God that brings life from death is able to handle our honesty about our feelings of death and the deaths that we've experienced in our own lives and experiences. So may you be honest and may you be broken and may you be in, a, in the hands of a church that allows for it and walks together in it. And may you be in the hands of a God who comforts, a God who understands, and a God who ultimately redeems. Let's pray. Jesus, be with us this week in our journey inward toward you so that our lives might be lived outwardly for you and for your kingdom. Peel back new layers of honesty in our lives so that we might be willing to grieve our losses openly so that you meet us in those losses and that you enlarge our hearts, our trust, our character, our experience of the redemption that you ultimately bring when we lay everything at your feet. In the strong name of Jesus, as a church together we pray, amen. Peace be with you, friends.